Tonight we're going to go through Romans 8, uh, verses 18 through 27, all right? As I was studying this today, I kind of was coming up with my own uh, little subtitles for it. Uh, one of my little titles I was coming up with today was like, Gold in the Struggle. And you'll find out about that in a little bit what I was calling it that. All right, anyway, so let's jump into it. All right, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. Let's read it together. For I reckon... For I reckon, you, kind of, you know some saying this is probably you got, when you see that word, you, you can't help but say it word with a south, you've got to say it with an accent. For I reckon, anyway, all right, getting off subject. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Somebody say amen. Verse 19, for the earnest expectations of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now, when it says creature, it's talking about creation, it's talking about the earth. All right, we're going to get into that a little bit uh, in depth here as we continue to read on. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, that's us and, and all of the earth, animals, vegetables, minerals, all that good stuff. But we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But we, uh, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Lord, continue to add your anointing to your word tonight as you speak to us through it, Jesus. Again, thank you for your word and all of his promises that are yes and amen. In Jesus' name we pray one more time. And everybody said, amen. Amen means so be it. So, uh, kind of the heading on all of this section here is um, deliverance and redemption, all right? Um, the believer shall be freed from struggling and suffering by the Spirit. That's the basic overview of this passage that we just talked about. So, um, you know, this phrase is getting a little old now. Some of us have probably said it, but you remember that phrase, you know, that's been popular for a while. The struggle is real. You know what I'm saying? The struggle is real. You know what I'm saying? The struggle is real. All right. So, what these verses are kind of talking about, ultimately, are talking about the, the promise. Ironically enough, as we were saying it tonight about God's promises, the ultimate promise that God has made to us while we are here on this earth and what we can expect and what we can believe and hope for in the days to come once we're, once we're with Him. So let's kind of jump into it, starting back up, backing again at verse 18. Okay, so 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Right? So, this is one of the most glorious promises in all of Scripture. I think that's very true. I mean, it don't get much much more plain than that. We got struggles, but what we're going through right now can't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. That right there is, a, is an awesome promise. There's going to be glory. God the Father's glory will be revealed in us. 
ourselves. We're going to get through the struggle. We're going to get through the suffering. And when we come out on the other side of it, on that great and glorious day, the glory of God will be shown through us. What a promise. Okay? He's going to free all creation from struggling and suffering. So, in this life, we can see that in verse 18, the believer suffers and struggles. How many of you guys have walked through suffering and struggling? Can I get an amen? Okay? We ought to throw a hand up. The struggle is real. Okay? The future glory, so this is the other thing. In this life, we, we struggle through suffering, and the future glory will be worth the agony. That's kind of a tough word there, but I'll tell you what, there I'm sure each and every one of us in here, if we pass the mic around, could tell stories where you have walked through things that have been absolute agony. And when we walk through things and we let God take us through it, on the other side, even in the natural, when God takes us through things, there is such a victory on the other side of that struggle. And we see, man, it was tough, it was hard, and uh, but you know what? When I learned through what God showed me through it, it was worth the struggle, it was worth the bitterness, it was worth the agony. And if that is true, on this side of heaven, how much more so is it going to be true when we get to heaven and, like, the ultimate freedom from the struggles of this world and all that stuff? It's going to be amazing. So, in this life is what we're talking about right there. Believer suffers and struggles. The future glory will be worth the agony. The next thing is creation suffers and struggles for deliverance from the corruption of this world. And the believer suffers and struggles for deliverance from corruption. That's what the rest of these verses, 19 through 22, talks about creation, meaning this earth, its, its inhabitants, its, its, its formations, okay? Those things suffer and struggle to put off corruption. And also, verses 23 through 27 talk about how the believer struggles and suffers as well. So, so let's kind of look through that tonight, okay? That's why I said we're going to be calling this Gold and the Struggle. If I could, like, subtitle this little teaching tonight, the struggle, because it's real. So, suffering, spiritual warfare, struggle in this life, the believer us in this room, okay, whether we are living our absolute most, to our estimation, you know, whether I am having the absolute best time with my walk with God, or I'm having the worst time my walk with God, even in the best times, I'm still going to struggle. There's still going to be struggle because the world I live in is falling, right? So we suffer, we suffer, we struggle. The word suffering means all forms of suffering which the believer experiences throughout life. It means the suffering that comes from persecution, the suffering that comes from the struggle of the spirit to overcome the flesh and the world. I mean, you know, sometimes one of the biggest things you can struggle against, I'll put my hand up first before I even ask the question of you guys, is yourself. Sometimes overcoming the flesh is the biggest struggle of all. And we, we, we fight with that and we war with that. That is something, that is a, a suffering, that is a struggle we go through. Very simply, suffering means the struggle waged by our spirits to overcome all that is experienced in this life. All that is involved in the flesh and the world, okay? It is the spiritual struggle discussed, as Pastor Bill has talked about in these previous weeks, Romans 5 through 8, as we're going through right now, okay? And so descriptive, uh, descriptively illustrated in chapter 7, it's the weight and the agony of fighting to overcome, right? When we struggle, when we press, when we persevere, it's tough. Even last week when I talked about no pain, no gain, right? We talked about getting in the gym and hitting the weights, okay? Like, you know, nobody who ever, you know, stood up, or lay down on a bench or stood in a squat. Nobody who ever did 500 pounds, you know what I'm saying, just, just started off with 500 pounds. Nobody, 
maybe a few, but I mean, for the most of us, okay, nobody who can bench 500 ever just lay down on the bench one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to slap five plates on each side of this bar and I'm just going to pick this up like this, my groceries from Walmart. It took effort. It took pain. It took gradually working your muscles, working those muscles into and breaking them and straining them to where they were strengthened through the agony of strain and push and travail to where there was advancement, to where you were able to get through it, right? It took struggle. Very simply, that's how we go through this life. Even in our best times, there's still a struggle. Our flesh still wants to fight. Our, our, you know, the spirit and the flesh, back and forth, back and forth. So we feel the agony of fighting to overcome sin and corruption, right? Disease and pain, abuse and persecution, unregulated urges and desires, weaknesses and shortcomings, aging and loss, okay? Deterioration and decay. Right? Those are all things that we struggle with in this life. Yes, we have we have wars in the spirit, but because we live in this natural world, look, uh, how many of you have a few more lines on your face this month than you did in this month five years ago? Okay? We it's a natural thing. We we every single day we wake up in this life, we are one step closer, not to be all doom and gloom, but we are one step closer to the end of it. Why? Because the form that we are in here was not meant to last. It was not made to last. It, it, is, it is corruptible. It, it, it decays. It weathers. And we see that all throughout life. You know, we, my wife has this, this beautiful um, uh, this beautiful plant, right? This, and some of them are actually planted out in the front of the church. We got them on the same day. They make these beautiful blooms, right? And, and for a moment, I walk out. If I go home for lunch or whatever, and I walk out, and there's a, a bloom on it. And it's, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. I get in the car. I go back to work. I come home by the end of the day. That bloom has already started to wither and decay. It's the nature of life. It's not permanent, right? And so that's one thing that we that we see even in the natural. There's a decay and there's a, a struggle of just, of just wear and tear. Deterioration, decay, we age, we, we lose, there's weaknesses, there's shortcomings, and back, like we said, back to the spiritual, there's sin and corruption. A genuine believer struggles against everything that keeps him from living abundantly and eternally. His sole passion is to bring everything under the control of Christ and to be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, he struggles to overcome the flesh and the world with their aging and corruption, sin and death. No matter what suffering is required, the believer bears it in order to overcome and gain the victory of eternal life and its glory. Now check this out. Note that the believer is to suffer with Christ in order that he may be glorified with Christ. That's, a, that, that's kind of a tough statement, but it, it really is true. Suffering prepares the believer to participate in the glory of Christ. Just know that we've suffered with him, if we live with him, if we die with him, we will also live with him. You know, the struggle, again, it's real, all right? It is a necessary condition for exaltation, suffering, and struggling, or a refining process through which the believer must pass. It refines the believer by forcing him to expand his trust in God more and more. Suffering drives a believer to cast himself more and more upon the care of God. Therefore, the believer moves closer and closer to that perfect trust and care in God. That's the truth. You know, you've heard the phrase before, it's a little trite, might sound a little cliche-ish, but what doesn't kill you makes you. And if we look at that from a spiritual standpoint, because that absolutely is what's going on, whenever we walk through suffering, whenever we walk through things, we are either going to place our trust more in God at that moment, or we're going to turn our back on Him. 
It's blurring together. I've seen it happen time and time again. Everybody sitting here in this room probably has too. Each one of us in our own lives and in, you know, in our family and our friends probably has somebody who went through something and because they went through it and they trusted in God on the other side of that trial, they were stronger in their faith. They were able to, you know, like John was saying, they were able to pitch 500 pounds in the spirit after that ordeal, right? But yet there's some people we know who when the struggle hit, instead of trusting God, they turned their back on him, stuck a fist to heaven and said, I can't believe you let me walk through this. What kind of God are you? Turned their back and their spiritual muscles atrophied, and then they found themselves in a place of total defeat, unable to get even the smallest victory in Christ after that. Why? Because they let the circumstance, they let the struggle overcome them rather than it refining them, okay? I'm not sure if I've talked about this in, in times past when I've spoken with you guys, but anybody here have a, just by a show of hands, just a basic process how gold is refined? Okay? Let me give you a, a quick little little science lesson, okay? Gold, we talk about, well, you know, every one of us probably has some piece of jewelry that is made of gold. Gold is a precious metal that is valuable, right? But it has different degrees of purity. We have 10 carat, 14 carat, 24 carat, okay? The higher the number, the greater the purity, right? How gold is purified, check this out, y'all, because the Bible even talks about that. There are other scriptures in the Bible that talk about God bringing us through the refining process, right? When gold is purified, what has to happen is gold is put inside of an apparatus and it is superheated. And then as it begins to liquefy, and as it begins to melt, per se, the junk inside of it comes to the top because it's called dross, because the dross that's inside of it is lighter than the densest, the denseness of the gold itself. And so rather than staying inside, it rises to the top. Everybody know where I'm going with this. How many of you have ever found yourself when the heat gets turned up and light, all of a sudden all your junk starts to come to the top? And you start dealing with things you like. You start feeling things you haven't felt in a while. You're like, I'm about to punch everybody in the face. What's wrong? I, I just really don't know. But if you're honest with yourself, the heat has been turned up. And some of the stuff that's on the inside is starting to come to the top. And what happens is the person who is overseeing that process, the smelter, right? That's what they're called there. They take, um, they take a cup and they come and when they see all of that dross at the top, they scoop it out. And it comes in, and, that, and that gold is, is dipped into it. It's a cup put inside of it and those impurities are scooped out. And then they're taken away, and then the, 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 the heat subsides, the, the fire goes down, the circumstances kind of chill out, and so does the gold. It begins to chill, it begins to solidify again, and it is now that much purer for having gone through that process. See, me included, all of us in this room, have gone through times where the heat's been turned up and junk has come to the top. And there have been times in my life, I won't ask for a show of hands, but where when I've seen the junk come to the top, I haven't dealt with it. I'll just let it kind of roll in the midst of my heat and just kind of roll with it and be like, you know what? This is how it's going to be right now. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a rough time. I'm having a rough look. You're just going to have to hold on for the ride and put up with me how I am, okay? Because I'm going through the struggle, all right? And, uh, and, and rather than seeing it for what it is, my junk that God's trying to bring to the top, because sometimes I have won that battle, but there have been times where I haven't, right? And then what happens is whatever the heat turns down, the junk goes back down inside of me. To be continued when the next time the heat gets turned up. So, in other words, you've heard that phrase before, going around and around the mountain, right? God's going to get that junk out of you, or it's going to 
will stay inside of you, and every time that he gets turned up, you're going to deal with it again and again and again and again. But if you allow God to deal with you, to take his hand and just get inside of you when you're in the midst of the heat, when you're in the midst of the struggle, right? Going through these things, we're purified. We're made that much more pure. We're made that much more um, holy for God to use in his purposes, right? So that's one of the benefits of the struggle, of the process. Now, we will never know on this side of heaven the perfect trust and care of God because we're imperfect, but we will come to know it when God transports us into the very kingdom of heaven. Amen? Suffering enlarges, purifies, expands, it ennobles the believer. It makes us more and more like what we will be when we actually live face-to-face with God. The future glory transcends immeasurably the suffering and struggling of this present world. The future glory shall be revealed in us and shall become part of our very nature and being. God shall radiate and shine forth from our resurrected bodies. The scripture verses all over that, that talk about that. The eyes of your understanding, and uh, in Ephesians 1.18 is one verse that talks about it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Just verses of scripture talking about whenever we're with God, just his glory will be emanating, not just in us, but through us, right? And here's the, here's the crazy thing. The future glory of, of God through us shall be an eternal weight of glory. Just imagine how scripture talks about it, a weight beyond all measuring. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says this, for our light affliction, which is <laughs> but for a moment, isn't that funny? I'm telling you guys, sometimes I read scripture verse and I'm like, God's got a really good sense of humor. Because, you know, like, I know not everybody, you know, sometimes sarcasm can kind of get you in trouble and kind of talk a little bit. I'm telling you, I read some of the things that Paul writes sometimes. I'm like, Paul is one of the most sarcastic guys. I mean, he like cut, no, he like, you know, cut, he's like, for this light affliction. You know, you might have been like, just look at what you're going through. You feel like you're just going through it all, right? It's just, oh my God, you just, oh man, I need nothing. He's rare back and what, what, what did you say? see right here in the Bible, God just looking over like, man, if you only knew, Tony, if you only knew what I dealt with today, just today, from sun up to sundown in your little corner of the world, what I dealt with, okay, your affliction, I promise you, it's light. Just trust in me. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I wrote this. It says weight, heaviness versus abundance. When I looked at that word weight in the context there of Scripture, obviously the, the common usage of that is talking about a burden. It's talking about a heaviness, right? But it also, one of the uses, uh, usages and definitions of it is an abundance. If you have a heavy weight of something, that means you have an abundance of it, right? You know, oh man, I got this big, huge load of money, or I got this big, huge load of crawfish. Amen? All right, that's what I'm the way I'm talking about. But when you have a heavy weight of something, you have an abundance of something. And just think one day, if the Bible talks about the weight of the glory that will be upon us, the abundance of God's glory in us, in us and through us. The future glory shall far exceed what we've seen or heard or longed for in our hearts. The future glory shall be so glorious it will reflect through us to others, making us ministers. And the future glory shall make us just like Jesus in all that he is. First John 3 and verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he 
he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. All right, so let's look at this now. So that's the, that's suffering, right? Going through suffering, we will be partakers in the glory of God for this, this light suffering we're going through now is nothing compared to the glory that it's going to bring in us. So let's talk about creation for a moment. The creation suffers and struggles for deliverance from corruption. The word creation refers to everything under man, animal, plant, mineral. All creation is pictured as living and waiting expectantly for the day when the sons of God shall be glorified. We just saw that in 1 John 3 and 2. It says we are the sons of God, right? So creation is waiting and growing for the sons of God to be revealed. As we have come in to know him, when he comes in his glory, we'll like him. Like the sons of God, we will be revealed. So creation is literally waiting for that, waiting for that moment to happen. All creation is pictured as living and waiting expectantly. As you just said, the words earnest expectation means to watch with the neck outstretched and the head erect and head up. In other words, it literally speaks to being like this. Like when I was, when, when, you know, like, like, like a little boy or a little, you know, when, when we were all little kids waiting for our parents to come home. Or maybe they were on a trip or maybe there was, they were going for a long time. And, my, you know, I used to do this, you know, my, uh, there was a time when I was younger when my dad would work for, you know, he'd be out all week and he'd come in on the weekends. And you get that image of like a kid at the door just standing like, mom's like, dad's going to be home at six o'clock, right? So you go and you, you stand at the door and sit and your neck's out stretching and wide because you're eagerly expecting. Or, you know, nowadays, when, you know, as grown-ups, we, we order something online and we are eagerly waiting at the door for the, for the Amazon Prime dude to wind the door, you know what I'm saying? That kind of expectation, next out, heads up, like, ooh, 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 I can't wait, I can't wait. That's what creation is literally like. The sons of God, the, the, the creation, like all, all the junk we've been going through, one thing, God's going to come, he's going to come, he's going he's to reveal himself to us, and we're going to you know, shove off all this junk we've been going through. That's the kind of expectation that word means. Really, really, really awesome. Check this. No three facts revealed about the universe in which man lives. Here's the first thing. Creation is subject to corruption. This is clearly seen by man, and what men um, what men see is constantly confirmed by such authorities as the botanists, the zoologists, the geologists, and the astronomers of the world. All of creation, whether mineral, plant, or animal, suffers just as men do. Check that out. You know what I'm saying? We, we talked about the blooms and the plants, okay? Now, why is that? Because just as man, God gave man dominion over the world, whenever man fell, as man had dominion over the world, that means the world fell, fell as well. We don't even know, like, you know, it just imagine, you know, the Garden of Eden, there were, you know, things that God created, and there was, a, there was a plan and a purpose that God had before man allowed sin into the world, and we don't know if one bloom would have lasted hundreds and hundreds of thousands, and maybe, maybe eternal. We don't know, you know? But one thing we do know is that as man let sin into the world, and he became corrupt, the world that he had dominion over also became corrupt. All right, so here's the second thing. Creation shall be delivered from corruption, okay? That is the wonderful news of the glorious gospel. A most significant point, whatever happens to man is bound to happen to his world. Man is the summit of God's creation. Therefore, all that is under man is intertwined, interwoven, and interrelated. Man and his world are one and the same. They are dependent upon each other. This is enormously significant since man and his world are interrelated. It means that the world will experience whatever man experiences. So check this out. Man falls, the world is bound to fall. But this is the glorious news as well. When man is liberated from corruption, his world will be liberated as well. God 
to subject man's world to man's fate, but God also had to subject man's world in hope. Creation will experience the glorious hope of living forever with man being completely and perfectly renovated. Maybe you've ever worked on a renovation project before. Yeah, it, it, the process, right? I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating, right? You have little moments of, of uh, oh, you know, you go and you see, like, we, you know, a patron in a big house is asking her, how it was going? You know, she pops up. You see these little bright things, and it's like, it gives you kind of a moment. You're like, yeah, sweet. But then you have, like, this headache, you know, renovation things that I've helped them part of. And you have, like, this, this, this setback, and it's, like, weeks behind, and all of a sudden, and then when the project's finally finished and it's all done, you're like, Victory, glory, you know what I'm saying? And that's, I mean, that's just a small picture of how it'll be. Man fell, earth fell. Man will be glorified because of God coming back to the earth. The earth is going to get a renovation, okay? Just imagine that. Now, I, I can't really, you know, speak why God did the things he did, but I have to believe, you know, when you're in, in the state of Louisiana, and how many of y'all deal with the little winged things that like to suck your blood, okay? I, for me, it's just a personal thing. I'm not trying to launch on the theology, but I'm just saying, I, I just think mosquitoes are just left over pestilence. I'm like, well, I didn't know it, just, you know, slide that mosquito, you know what I'm saying, when we get went on the heart. I'm believing, like, no animals that bite, no animals that insects that sting, all those kind of things. Like, when the earth gets renovated, that's just kind of some of the, you know, silly things I think about. But our world, literally, I wrote here, I said, nature is beautiful, but it's violent. You ever really thought about that before? Like, not just animals and, you know, like the food chain and all that stuff, but like, look at the, you know, if, if you've ever studied geology, you know, look, look from at the Atlantic, you know, the Atlantic Ocean all the way across the, like the, if you've ever studied geology before, the ring of, the ring of fire, or the, the plates on this earth constantly moving and just underwater volcano. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff always going on that we don't know. The earth is beautiful, but the earth is violent. It, it, it moves, it groans, it's, it's a beautifully violent thing, but it's because of the fall of man that one day all that is, you know, all that is crazy and hectic in this world will get a facelift. It will get more than just that. It will get a complete overhaul and a renovation because creation is subject to corruption, uh, corruption, corruption, but it will also be delivered from corruption. And then the third thing is creation groans in labor for deliverance. All that creation suffers together. All creation is interrelated, intertwined, and interconnected. The whole universe is dependent upon its various parts. Think about this. The earth could not survive without the heavens, and the heavens would have no purpose apart from God's creation of man and the earth. Now, this doesn't mean that man to be egocentric and egotistical, be like, you know, we have dominion over the earth, we're, you know, whatever. If anything, it realizes it should, it should humble us. It should humble us. Being the center of creation before God is not a truth to make us proud, but to make us humble. A truth that causes us to bow and worship and praise, appreciation and thankfulness. Um, being the son of God's creation, it's not a privilege, but presently it's an enormous responsibility. The words groaneth and travaileth, this is the picture of a woman giving birth. Creation experiences birth pains under its struggle to survive. It's, it's been experiencing the birth pains until now. That is, from the fall of man up until this present moment. The whole scene of these four verses is that creation awaits a renovated world. Creation resists, think about this, check this out. Creation resists evil and struggles against decay and death. Think about that. It's that natural will to survive. Just like we have that, the earth has that too. Everything is trying to fight to, you know, to stay on top, to stay alive, just as we do. The earth does it as well. This is our fallen nature. It fights for survival. 
it, it struggles against the bondage of being slaughtered or being changed. And the idea expressed here is that creation awaits the day of redemption, anxiously, expectantly, longingly, and eagerly awaiting for its deliverance from corruption. So here's the next thing, uh, talking about the earth being delivered from corruption. Let's talk about us being delivered from corruption. The believer suffers and struggles. We talked about that before. Struggle's real, as we said. Gold in the struggle. So we struggle, and we uh, we struggle for deliverance from corruption. So the first thing uh, for us is it's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that delivers and saves man, right? We go back to um, uh, verse 23 where it says that. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to win the redemption of our body. Okay? So, the first fruits, the Holy Spirit, that save us. This term, first fruit, means either the presence of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Life, love, joy, peace. When a believer is truly saved, when we're truly walking with God, we possess the Holy Spirit and we bear the fruit of the Spirit, right? We've said that before. The, the closer I am to God, the further away I am from myself. Who we hang out with, that's who we're going to be like, okay? The more time we spend with somebody, the more time we're going to be like them. The more time I spend with God, the more of His character I'm going to exhibit, okay? And that is the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in my life. So we actually begin to live abundantly and eternally, and we experience the fullness of God's Spirit, God's love, God's joy, God's peace. So experiencing these causes the believer to groan and to ache. And I wrote this right here. Check this. Experience drives desire. If you have ever had God just absolutely wreck you at an altar, and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I just had an encounter with the living God, you got to have you got to have that again. There's a, there's a drive inside of you when you know you experience something real. Man, okay, I believe in God. I, I've read His Word. I've, uh, but man, He just—I just had an encounter unlike any other. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? When He just moves upon you, and you know there's no like, man, there was no other way. There was no other way I could that that was anything other than God just like straight up meeting me. God, let's do that again. Let's do that again. That experience drives that desire, and that's how God wants it. He wants to commune with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to draw us closer to Him. He wants us to want Him. That's how a relationship works. When I first met Sarah, the experiences that I, I experienced when I was in her presence, I wanted to be with her more. It's a natural thing that whenever we have that experience, we have those positive experiences, it drives a desire. What? A desire to have that experience again. And uh, the believer is stirred. So it's the same thing with God. When we're with Him, we're stirred. Our desire is stirred. We, we groan and we ache for the perfection of our spirit um, to be in, in God's presence and in His fruit. For the day of adoption, the day when He'll actually move into the perfect presence of God and for the redemption of His body. The believer is stirred by the taste of the Spirit and of his first fruit, stirred to groan for perfection. He groans and he aches to be delivered from the sufferings of this world and released into the glorious liberty of perfection with God. The second thing. So the first thing was, it is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that delivers us and saves us. Why? Because when we get that, when we, when we get that taste of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, we, we crave and we, we yearn for more. So that is one of the first things that begins us in that process of salvation and redemption. The next thing is, it's hope that delivers and saves man. 
Hope saves us, for it's hope that keeps us seeking after God and His redemption. We hope for redemption, therefore with patience we wait for it. It even talked about that. You know, the thing that you can see, you don't have to hope for, right? But uh, hope, I see Sister Garland say, well, I don't have to hope anymore. There's Sister Garland sitting right there. That hope has been satisfied. So when we don't see those things, we continue to hope for them because we know we've gotten that taste and we hope, we hope for redemption and we believe in it, we trust in it, right? So that hope drives us on. It's fueled by that desire. The third thing, it's prayer in the Holy Spirit that delivers and saves man. We have a few minutes until we wrap up, but this part right here was so good. I'm just going to hit these points. It is prayer and the Holy Spirit that delivers and saves man. As the believer faces the sufferings of this life, he has the greatest resource imaginable, prayer. As we go through the struggle, we have the greatest resource, better than any supplement, like, you know, whatever we lift the weights, better than any uh, training tool, better than anything else, the greatest thing available to us when we're going through the struggle is prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. He has the right, we have the right to approach God whenever we need to ask God for the strength to walk through and to conquer the suffering. This is what prayer is all about. Two significant things, okay, that are said about in, the, in these verses of Scripture. It says that believers do not know how to pray as they should. And I was like, okay, let's break that down a little bit. And it really is true. Look, note the word we. Paul includes himself, okay? Which is to say, no believer knows how to pray by nature. Think about this. And now, as I started realizing, like, it's so true. When I go into prayer, I experience all these things. By nature, we're weak. By nature, we lack power. Look for prolonged concentration to avoid distraction, to stop all wandering thoughts, to prevent emotional changes, to govern varying affections, to know what lies in the future, even one hour from now, to know what is really best for us in our growth in any given situation. How many of you ever tried, like, on the next hour, I'm just going to, I'm going to go alone, and I'm just going to go spend some time praying, and everything in the world seems to start crashing down on you. Your phone starts going off. If you've got kids, they start pounding at the door. It's, it, you, you can't control those things. By nature, our ambition to go, so I'm going to go pray. It's weak. We are limited. And and, and Paul says that. We, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. And, and that proves out our, our natural inclination. So the second thing is the Holy Spirit, it says, helps our infirmities. Now, obviously, we know God heals us. We talked about that before. By his stripes, we are healed. But in this specific instance, it's talking about the infirmity of us being able to pray as we ought to, of us being many times incapable of overcoming distractions. Of, of we don't even know what's going to happen. I can say I'm going to pray for an hour, but, you know, 25 minutes into my prayer time, I'm making a phone call that somebody I know was in an accident. I, I can't control the future. I can't. I can make a plan, but I can't control it. So the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Why? And, and he says this, it is true that he helps us in all of our infirmities, but the point of the present passage deals with prayer. Now, it's assumed that we're praying in this verse, right? So in order to get help, we've we got to be praying. we got to be doing that, right? When we do this, the Spirit begins to act both upon us and for us. I love this. The Spirit helps our infirmities. Whatever our particular weakness is, it is that weakness which he helps. He helps each one of us individually. My weaknesses may not be Grace's weakness. My strengths may not be Kate's strengths. The Holy Spirit knows each one of us and helps us individually at the same time. That's so cool. I love it. So if we're truly sincere and we're wrestling to play, then the Spirit helps us to control concentration, distractions, wandering thoughts, emotional changes, and affections. How? As we struggle to pray by controlling our flesh and its weakness, the Holy Spirit takes our mind and emotions, quiets and silences them, 
stirs and excites them, draws and pulls them, directs and guides them. There have been times where when I've made up my mind, like, I'm just going to go pray. Not like, well, I guess I need to go, you know, I had prayed a couple days after I guess I need to go spend a couple of minutes praying. But it's like that. It seems like I never get through, you know what I'm saying? It's where I was like, I just sit down and nothing happens. But when I say, like, man, I got to get in the presence, I am, like, feeling spiritually anemic. I am, like, straight up busted in the struggle. I got to go, like, when my mind is made up, it's almost like when, when, we, when, when it's really sincere, Johnny, and I get in there, it's like, boom. It's like you just lock in. Now, that's not me. That's the spirit going, all right, I see you mean business. Let's get down to business. You come here to mean business, I'm going to play. Okay? We, we're going to play together. Now, you come in here and just play around. Well, then, you know, you, you, let, let's see. You know? Because there have been times where I've come in and I've kind of struggled, but then after like five minutes, it's like, it's like I really, I, then I lock in, and then the spirit does that. And it's like when, when God recognizes that you mean business, he means business, and the spirit begins to help us, just like we said. So he leads us to pray as we should, controlling, subjecting the flesh, and concentrating upon the prayer. And um, let's jump ahead here. There's a we, we, we just uh, so uh, is this good though? This like the struggle, man. The struggle. There, there's a purpose for the struggle. I know it ain't fun. I know it ain't good. But there are things that we learn through it. There are things. There are processes that God takes us through. So this is going through. All of this is talking about its prayer and the Holy Spirit that delivers and saves a man. Saves a man. That is the third thing. So the the fourth thing is it is God who delivers and saves man. Uh, one final thought before we talk that the believer's great need is to come before God and to come often in such intense prayer. How many of you guys have anything that has a rechargeable battery? I think we all do. Right here. Everybody got one of these. If you don't, then you have, you know, kids or friends of you. Okay? This is a great example. As you use this, what happens? Battery goes. It needs to be recharged. As we go out, as we live, as we try to walk this life, we get drained. And if we don't step back to the source and get charged, how in the world can we hope to last? We can't. We can't. Corruptible man. We have to plug into the source. So the last thing is it is God who delivers and saves a man. Note the three things said in this verse. God searches the heart of us all. God knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. And God will answer our prayer and meet our needs. Somebody say amen. So here's the final progression there. So let, let's look at this. 18 through 27 again, right? The first fruits. We get the first fruits. We want more. We hope for more. We pray for more. The Holy Spirit helps us pray properly for more. And then the God who gives more will ultimately give us all. Not just more, but give us all. All right. Amen. I was going to say amen, but you beat me to it. So be it. It's so good. Here on earth, we're, we're incomplete. The Bible says that we see through a, a, you know, a mirror dimly. We, we, we are imperfect. We are incomplete here on this earth. We go through the struggle. We're, we're refined like gold. We go through the process. We get better. We have another struggle. We're tripped at all of these things. And if we stay the course and if we trust in God, and just as we did here, we have that promise that one day we will take this nasty, you know, old, weary, earth-worn vessel that is around us, and we will take it off and we will put on incorruption. We will put on perfection. But the great news is while we are doing that here, God has promised He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. And I know each one of us has had moments in our lives where we know that to be true. When we're purified as gold, guys, when we go through it, when we go through the fire, when we go through the struggle, when we show God, God, I'm not giving up. 
Man, this thing has beat me to my knees, but I need you. Lord, help me stand. Help me stand. Help me, Lord, help me pray the way I want to, God. I've been in your presence, and I know you're too good for me to turn my back on. It might be tough right now, but Lord, I, I, I know you're real. I know you're there. These present light afflictions that, the, that I'm going through are nothing compared to the glory that I know is waiting for me on the other, not only on the other side of the struggle, but on the other side of this life. And one day we know that when we, we stay the course, we will be with him in glory. When this world gets a, gets a complete overhaul, as do we. Amen? That's the promise, and it's yes and amen. Amen?